0: It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia.
1: And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast. We're talking to Simon Kustenmaha from the Demographics Group. Welcome, Simon, to the Real Estate Podcast. Ah, Thanks for having me. Hey, I thought since you're the co-founder and director of research there, I thought the demographics group would be great to have on the podcast to look kind of into the future, well, into 2022 at least, because you've come up with a bunch of things that might be quite relevant for this year. Although the funny thing is with predictions... It's really taken that pandemic for us to learn that anything is possible and predictions don't always ring true, right?
0: Absolutely. It is a bit of a challenge um, to make predictions and particularly to make them in public. But, you know, we figured uh, why not give it a shot today?
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with having confidence about doing this. And since we're talking about the pandemic, let's look at COVID and more importantly, the way that the world might view Australia's handling of the pandemic. And there's a little bit of good news here to feel some national pride. So, Simon, why is there good news here?
0: Well, the good news here is that the world will judge all of the countries on the globe, basically on just two very simple metrics once this whole thing is over. The first metric will be the number of deaths per one million people. And Australia is performing absolutely beautifully On this metric, you are pretty much 40 times more likely to be alive by the simple fact that you live in Australia compared to the United States or compared to Europe. So whatever the pain of the lockdowns were to you, to your business, um, as a country, we managed to keep our population healthy and alive. So that metric... Will be front of mind when the world judges the performance of countries throughout the pandemic. The second metric that um, countries will look at is the vaccination rate. They will look at countries and say, well, how well did the countries actually perform in protecting themselves or how well did the state protect their citizens by making vaccines available? And we have a fantastic uptake um, of, of the vaccine, even though we started about half a year. Uh, later than the US with actually getting our hands on vaccines. So Australia is performing really well on those two tasks. Maybe if you wanted to throw in a third metric that people would be looking at, it would be um, the change of GDP before and post-COVID, whenever post-COVID will be.
1: You know, it's interesting too, because one of the things about stats there isn't any weight added to political posturing or fighting among MPs. It's only the metrics that count. And those two metrics that you have talked about are the most important. It's, it's kind of much like it doesn't matter how much or how well a rugby team played coming second. It's only the stat of the winner that counts. Absolutely. And
0: at the end, when you look back at, you know, hundreds of years of of rugby results, you look at the champions you you, you yeah. look at that you you won't look at the at the you know ups and downs of a game and at the moment we're still in the game of covid and people get really upset about a certain premier a certain prime minister whatever whatever it is it doesn't matter in the long run in the long run you look at hard cold numbers and judge a country's performance based on a terribly simple metric
1: you know simon i have not heard any politician it may have been spoken about but That statistic of 40 times more likely to die if you're living in America versus living in Australia, I haven't heard any politician mention that.
0: It's surprising to me because we are performing really well. I think there is a a certain, I don't know, tendency, if you will, in society that might reach the politicians of, you know, you don't want to talk about this in a positive way because you want to keep up the narrative of this being extremely serious and you have to take this whole thing be very careful in how you approach the topic and just uh, shouting about the fact how well we are protecting our citizens might just lead to complacency or something like this is something that a politician might think about. But I think it's something to actually be proud about and to, to talk about an awful lot just how well we are performing compared to other countries. Maybe we are not talking about it that much because there is a country that is performing even better than we are, and that's New Zealand, and who wants to give them any clout?
1: (laughs) Okay, yeah. Well, let's have a look at the focus on the millennials around housing. There is a large number of millennials living in apartments, but one of the predictions for 2022 is that this age group will continue to move up into family-sized houses, which means moving out of dense urban cities and settling in suburbia. So how long has that trend been underway for, Simon? Yeah,
0: so the millennial generation, of course, is by far the largest uh, generation cohort that we have in Australia. And they procrastinated for an awful long time to start their families. So they only start families at, at scale in their mid 30s. And that's now where the start of the millennial cohort is at. So we'll have another 10 years of millennials starting families. That means you know the millennial couple adds a first, a second child to their families. And all of a sudden, their inner city, one to two bedroom dwelling becomes too small. So they will then hunt for three to four bedroom family sized homes. That is not a, a new trend. Previous generations have acted the same way. But the interesting story with the millennials is that it's a huge cohort and that they procrastinate it. And that they just happened to start families when covid hit when the pandemic hits when all the lockdowns hit so this looks like a pandemic phenomenon even though it really is just a demographic phenomenon of millennials moving out to wherever three and four bedroom homes are available and that's why we will continue to see the movement away from the inner city to outer suburbia this is as well driven by the working from home phenomena, where people work from home more frequently and therefore don't have to pay the premium of being close to the employment centers in the city. But it is largely a demographic trend.
1: And you mentioned about working from home. Jobs and owning property are inextricably linked and always have been. But there is a new kid on the block. It's called the hybrid work model, where it really did take this pandemic to be fully realised. And I, I think you're saying that this trend is likely to continue also.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, before the pandemic, we had about 5% of the workforce working from home on any given day. And at the height of the pandemic, it was about half of the population. The new normal on any given day will more likely be around the 15% mark or, or thereabouts. But the important thing is that we won't have that many people that will exclusively work from home. We will also have fewer and fewer people who work exclusively from an office. The approach will be that more and more people go to the office whenever it suits them or whenever the work requires it. So the ideal work is actually split in a way that you do all your quiet tasks, you know, your programming, your writing emails, your private phone, not your private, but your um, confidential phone calls that you do them at home where you have uh, maybe a quiet uh, study to work from, and you do all those creative, collaborative tasks. You do those from the office. So therefore, we will not see, a from a real estate perspective, a trend where people move into the back country completely out of the gravitational pull of the CBD. That won't happen because people in the hybrid work model, will still at least occasionally need to go to the office. Therefore, they, you know, they're happy to not live in the CBD or near the CBD anymore, but they will tend to stay in the middle suburbs on the urban fringe, maybe in a regional town that is well connected uh, with public transport into the CBD so that they can at least occasionally do a long commute into the city.
1: And Simon, another factor in the housing market is decentralisation of the population and local governments face some predictable challenges. So what's likely because land is probably the number one tool that right now is in short supply? At the moment, land is definitely of short supply. We also have high uh, building costs.
0: Uh, building materials is more expensive and we have a skills shortage. So this is a perfect storm for really high house prices, uh, what's happening at the moment. But the decentralization that we are seeing. For the first time in decades, that has happened because we are living in the country in the world that has the most centralized population. Two-thirds of the Australian population live in just five cities. Before the pandemic, 80% of population growth occurred just in the top five cities. That means growth, jobs, population were really, really concentrated, which drives house prices up. And for a long time it was the goal of public policy on all levels to decentralize population growth and it really took a pandemic. It took the millennials reaching family formation stage And working from home becoming a trend at the same time for people now leaving the inner city and moving to the urban fringe, moving to the big regional cities. So that's the decentralization movement that was long the desire from everyone. So that is kind of good news, you would think, except that relatively small regional markets only need a tiny bit more growth than expected to have prices to have rents go through the roofs because the regional towns you know that are in commutable distance of the big cities they didn't plan for two, three, four hundred people more per year moving into this town. So all of a sudden rents go up, house prices go up, which is not a problem at all for the new sc- newcomers who buy the new properties because they are, you know, allegedly on inner city incomes and they consider this cheap compared to what they are used to in the inner city suburbs. But the real losers here are renters in regional uh, Victoria, uh, regional Australia and they are young people from a low socioeconomic background in um, regional Australia that potentially wanted to buy a home in the town and that are now priced out of the market. So those market movements once again have the lowest income people suffer the most.
1: All right, Simon. Well, look, that's great to get a little bit of a handle on that. And thank you so much for coming on to the Real Estate Podcast and explaining that to us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.